Hello and welcome to another edition of the Total Italian Football Podcast for Match Day 25. Uh, I am your host once more as uh, Connor Clancy is busy with Italian football things on the peninsula. Uh, Ewan is on his jollies or potentially uh, in a sex dungeon in Serbia. Um, But I do have one man here who is uh, full of opinion and full of bedbugs. How is your bedbug situation over there in Australia, Vito Doria? Look, I'm good, Kev. I'm starting to feel a lot better now. And also, the hotel refunded me my money back. That's good to hear, Vito. Um, And as they should, uh, if you were... Um, well, well, they were invested. You weren't invested. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the, uh, the the point we're bringing that up is because some listeners enjoyed that bit of our uh, discussion last week, <laughs> uh, and also the knowledge that I'm still kicking kids around uh, supermarkets um, when they're annoying me. So uh, uh, I'll be going out and doing um, that next weekend to to keep the listeners um, up to speed with uh, my abuse of small children. but anyway um we've had match day 25 uh and it has had implications for the for the top so um i'll go through them in um in in the order that they were played so on friday night it started with torino beating lecce uh, 2-0 then the champions elect inter beat salernitana uh, 4-0 on saturday afternoon napoli were held 1-1 by genoa then uh, I'm starting to forget the actual order they were played in because it's not that way on my uh, on my list, actually. Then we had Juventus uh, drawing 2-2 away to Verona. And then in the evening on Saturday, Sassuolo were well beaten by Atalanta 3-0. And then we move on to today's game, which started with uh, Lazio being beaten by uh, Bologna 2-1. As I'm, as I'm reading these out, actually, Vitar, there are a lot of uh, sort of away wins or uh, surprising home draws for sizes that I thought were going to win uh, away from home. We had two 3pm uh, European time kickoffs, which ended 1-1. That was Empoli uh, 1, Fiorentina 1 and Udinese 1, Cagliari 1. Um, then we moved on to Roma winning 3-0 away to Frosinone. And the weekend ended and where we'll probably start with Monza. Um, somewhat surprisingly beating uh, Milan 4-2. And you covered that for the website, Vito. So um, give us a brief summary before I start grilling you with my questions on what you thought. Look, it was quite a surprising result on the grand scheme of things. And watching the game, I thought that Monza seemed a bit more cautious than usual, at least for my liking. Milan had a fair bit of possession, but then... Near the end of the first half, that's when the sucker punch first came in. Monza got those two goals, and then things seemed to look worse for the Rossoneri when Luka Jovic got sent off, but they somehow came back. And uh, towards the end, Monza woke up from their slumber again to seal the win for themselves. See, I missed the, um, I missed the Jovic sending off Vito, so maybe you can explain it for, for me and anybody, anybody listening. But what I did see was... As soon as the 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 referee, because I think he brandished a yellow card to start with, as soon as the referee went to um, VAR, Jovic almost started shuffling towards the side of the pitch and knew what was coming. So what actually happened? Yeah. Well, that was a time where I was actually writing my notes as we were preparing. You know, I've got to prepare for my other articles regarding this game. But what I saw was that he he must have struck 
um, Armando Itzel in the face. Like either it was a like a slap or a hit from what I could gather. So once I saw that, I thought, yeah, he's definitely got to go off. Just a very yeah, unnecessary retaliation. Your, yeah, if you raise your raise your hands to a opponent, that's that's going to happen. Obviously, it, it started going downhill for, for uh, Milan. Well, so there's there's two questions here. It it, it started going downhill when um, they conceded a penalty when Malik Chow kind of lost his head. He sort of hacked away at somebody just before they went into the box. And I think Danny Motta picked the ball up, went inside and Chow, even though there was another Milan defender there, decided to go and hack at the hack at the next person. Mm. And so your thoughts on the penalty, but also that Milan went very strong in midweek against Rennes mm. uh, in the uh, Europa League last uh, 32, which you can kind of understand because they're, they're, you know, they're extremely unlikely to to win the, win the league. Um but then I, I, when I saw a strong side against Rennes midweek, I assumed that they were just, you know, Pioli was, because they're, they're a little bit depleted in defence. Chiao came back today after injury. And I thought he'd go strong again today here. But he almost played the, or rested the players, whatever you want to call it. The, the team that I expected to see for last Thursday night against Rennes, because I thought he would, you know, try and chase down Juve and actually put a, you know, decent run in the league together. Yeah, it seemed that uh, the choice of lineup was a bit surprising. But, uh, yeah, just in this particular game, one would thought that Milan would have showed a little bit more, at least uh, for the whole course of the 90 minutes. They only really woke up from the slumber in the second half. And that being said, I thought Chior was, yeah, horrible uh, throughout the game. Him and Gabi as a defensive duo were poor. And to give away the penalty was nuts because first he he brought down Milan Juric and just soon after with Motta on the run, he has the audacity to chase him down and bring him down. So it was bad enough he didn't concede the penalty for what he did to Juric, uh, Juric but then to bring down Motta in just a matter of seconds, you just knew it had to be a penalty. It wasn't. It wasn't even subtle. It was quite. It, I say it was. It was quite comedic of how he did it. I know there. There's always an argument to come back from injury and a bit, a little bit being a bit off the pace. But uh, it wasn't even sort of late in the game. So you'd think he would have been alert from from that perspective. But Milan, Milan, uh, uh, still in third, um, fifty-two points. We'll get onto Juve in a moment, who drew this weekend, so they could have taken them over and and then being ten points behind Inter. But do you think that's that's it for them now? They'll kind of tread water just to retain the Champions League spot, and they'd be going for the Europa League really for the silverware because if they were to win that competition, it would bring a Champions League place. But they're they're fairly comfortable in the league. So do you think they're going to continue dropping points through resting players for the Europa League, depending on how far they go now, Vito? I think it's a possibility because. Like I've mentioned on previous episodes of this podcast, Milan do struggle when they've got to rely on players from their bench. The best team available is fantastic on their day. Uh, the reserve options are not as good. So I think if they are going to focus on the Europa League and try to win that whilst also trying to secure a Champions League qualification, which I reckon they will, um, they will have a few slip-ups. And then, you know... If we look at other issues, it looks like that this will allow Winter to really secure the Scudetto a bit earlier than 
they might have anticipated. Yeah, I suppose Milan have done very well defensively with what has been a a fairly makeshift defence anyway. Um, the only real you know change that Pioli made that was of his making was Chiao coming in for Kiaia and Kiaia is you know the towards the end of his career now anyway. Um, so so if anything, I thought they were going to be blunt in attack rather than um, sort of awful in defence, but. But there you go. Um, that's what happened to Milan. They'll 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 probably get through to the last sixteen of the Europa, having beat some Rennes three 0 uh, last Thursday, uh, and then we'll have to see what side they put out next weekend against Atalanta, which um, Atalanta aren't quite in touching distance. Let me go to the, yeah, the, Atalanta can't take them over next week. But if they were to later uh, record a win at San Siro uh, and get within four points of Milan next uh, next weekend, it could make things really really interesting. Um, but the side above um, Milan, Juventus played um, on Saturday evening, and that, I was going to say it was a surprising two-two draw with Verona. Um, it was a it was a real worldie to put Verona in in front, and actually there's been some phenomenal goals uh, this weekend. Um, if if anybody wants to go and check out the the highlights where you can find them in your respective territories, because uh, it was a really good weekend for for Serie A goals. Um, but the uh, Follerunt show, uh, is that how you pronounce that? Uh, yes, correct. Go on, Vito. You're, you're itching to tell me yes or no. Who knows? Oh, yes. Oh, excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, I shall take that from uh, someone who speaks Italian far better than I do, or uh, and has a, a better linguistic tongue, um, <laughs> shall we say? Um, and, and yes, yeah, so Verona uh, went ahead from an absolute worldie. Uh, it was a penalty that got Juventus back into the game that Vlaovic um, put away over Plom. Uh, Noslin put Verona back in front, and and. A man that's rescued Juventus a couple of times this season, um, Rabio scored the equaliser. But it's two points from the last four league games now for Juventus, which is really, you know, that's completely killed their, their Scudetto hopes. But it's also a run of form on a par with uh, Sassolo, Frosinone, Salernitana and Cagliari, who are the only other sides that have picked up fewer points in the last few games. And... That's just not. That's just a bit shocking, Vito, isn't it? For a club of Juventus' stature, and even with the players that Max Allegri has at his disposal, this is quite disappointing for them. And you would expect better. It just seems that they really are lacking something. When they're able to hold teams back, they do fine. But if they've got to try and take the initiative, that's where they tend to struggle. They do have their days where they actually can play some decent football but they're just so used to nullifying the opposition and when that plan doesn't work that's when they encounter a good amount of problems can they can they continue to sort of hide behind the financial difficulties that the the capital gains issues brought last year the whole financial fair play which 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 is impacting the whole of Europe, it would seem now. Um, there was a, a statistics that said that um, transfers, uh, transfer, no, sort of wages were, were had only increased by less than a percent across sort of the major five European leagues, which which feels like clubs are starting to cut their, cut their cloth accordingly. So you know they're they're working within their budget, but that that Juventus squad should still be able to turn over sides like Verona and again even away from home no yeah I totally agree with that sentiment 
Uh, I just think this is down to sort of Allegri's style of management and his tactics because a team like Juventus should not fear Verona and that's with all due respect to the Giallo Blue. On paper, Juventus should be going to the Bentegori and winning games like this. Uh, when I look at the general situation though, you could blame the capital gains situation to an extent. However, they still got a stronger squad than than most other teams. And uh, you got to say that, in a way, it's moments like this where you wonder if Allegri is really maximising the talent out of the players at his disposal. No pun intended. No. No <laughs> maximise <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, there you go. You did it. You did it without even realising. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, so you know they're gonna they're gonna qualify for the Champions League next they year. Should. Um, and but 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 I just see them falling flat on their face when they're there. What what more does this squad need? Arguably, a, a top quality goalkeeper because of the age of Chesney and. He, he seems to make a few errors here and there. Not that he was, um, you know, at fault for any of the, the goals this weekend, but um, the, they're lacking a little something. And, uh, and you know, that's probably they need money to actually resolve some of these issues. But is there enough from the youth that's coming through? Because there's there's also, you know, at um, uh, this, the game earlier uh, today, so Frosinone and um, Roma both had sort of two Juventus youngsters on show and, you know, they could get them back in. But but they, do they need more than youth now and actually have to, to get a bit more experience and quality into the Juventus squad if they're going to at least qualify from the group stages next season? Hmm. Look, more for the... if Look, if they had some ambition to really go beyond the round of sixth in the Champions League, then they would need to look down that path of experience and so forth. Uh, however, though, I do feel that in some cases they just got to give uh, more confidence to the younger players and put a bit more trust in them because it, there are times it seems like they're not fully trusted or if they make a mistake or two, they're just relegated to the bench again. I'm curious to see how they, how things do pan out next season because Fajoli should return from his uh, betting scandal ban. Uh, you'd hope that someone like Fabio Miretti would have a bit more experience under his belt. And depending on Federico Chiesa's situation, you might have to see if Kenan Yildiz can become an established starter because Chiesa is a fantastic player on his day, but it seems like those knee injuries are really affecting his game. So it's a combination of things. Yeah, hopefully um, with a full summer, Chiesa might come back because... There's something not quite right there, and he, he he looks unhappy. And you know, maybe maybe if he doesn't make the Italian squad for Euro 2024, or actually do him some good. Um, but there you go. Let's 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 leave Juventus there and um, move on to the um, the incoming uh, Syria champions. Um, so they won four 0 at Salernitana, as I said earlier. Uh, Salernitana um, got Fabio Liverani. Uh, into the coaching hot seat. Um, I'm sure you've got some interesting views on how he did at various clubs, but um, with this defeat, he recorded an unwanted hat-trick uh, of his debuts with Genoa and Parma, also being losses to Inter, which is a real strange coincidence, you know, <laughs> just that that, that happens. Um, so for, for, for little to no reason, Salernitana 
um, removed our Inzaghi derby um, by taking Filippo out of the firing line before he faced his brother Simone. So I was a little bit disappointed um, with that. But uh, it, it didn't take into too long to dismantle Salernitana and we're now just waiting for the total lift, aren't we? Pretty much so. We are now seeing a sense of predictability about this. Maybe not as much as last season with the way Napoli just dismantled everyone in the path, but the way Inter have been getting results, it looks like that they'll become the champions and uh, we probably won't be seeing the so-called Pazza Inter where they just self-destruct. They look like they're in very good stead themselves and with Milan and Juventus struggling for consistency, that also helps their cause. See, there's you know you you brought up Napoli there, and I was I, I did have on my notes. So um, Patrick Kendrick pointed out that um, Inter hit uh, sixty three, hit sixty three points, uh, twenty five games in. Uh, sorry, twenty four games in. Napoli uh, had um, sixty three after twenty three games last season. Yet. Yeah. Yeah, we don't make the comparison, you know. And and so he put out on he put out on uh, Twitter, uh, who would who would win, Napoli the Napoli of last season or the Inter of this season? Because those numbers, there was something more thrilling about Napoli. But I think that was probably because it came from nowhere. Mm. And um, before you answer that question, I've been doing this piece because it came out kind of out of last week's um, pod about if Inter a sort of. The generational team of this this era, so say like the last half decade and more, they they've got more points than any other side since twenty nineteen when Conte was appointed. They're the only side since twenty nineteen to be averaging more than two points a game in Syria. They they they're better than just what they're doing this year and how close they've gone in previous years. But you know who would you who would you take in a in a in a straight off duel between this Inter and that Napoli? I would still take Napoli because they just look like such a complete side and defensively as well as offensively, they were, they were fantastic. Just rock solid at the back, but they were fantastic on the ball and uh, on the day, they just did things for fun. Inter, now, they're a fantastic team. They're very good on the counter. They got that good defensive block and, you know, with uh, Chalonoglu controlling the midfield and... Lautaro firing the goals, you know, they do have key players, but I just think overall Napoli as a unit, they were just better for my liking. Because the defensive argument's an interesting one, because it was a 15th clean sheet for Jan Sommer uh, yesterday. And, uh, is it yesterday? No, Friday. And, you know, he's come in and I think everybody, everybody expected, expected him to excel with the ball at his feet. You know, because that's kind of what was pointed out they lost when when Anana went to Manchester United, and I, I I don't even I don't even know if I if I think that the, that Napoli defence of last season is better than this Inter defence. What the way I see it was that Napoli's defence was that good that I don't think they needed Alex Merritt that much. Just Kim Min Jae, Amir Rahmani were just so well organised at the back then. In the fullback positions, Di Lorenzo was super consistent. Mario Rui probably had the season of his career. And in the past, I was critical of Mario Rui, but he really 
you know, won me over last season. Oh, me, me, me too, Vito. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand, couldn't stand. Well, I still, probably still can't stand him. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't see what all the fuss was about with Mario Rui. Yeah, but yeah, just overall, that back four played so well, and Lobotka to give them that protection midfield just really helped them a lot. So I think uh, in that case, yeah, Merritt would not have needed to be tested as say Sommer. However, Jan Sommer this season has been fantastic, and I think. Some is a better fit for Inter than Onana because Onana is a sweeper keeper. He's a great shot stopper and someone who knows how to play with the boy's feet. But I think with Inzaghi's counter-attacking tactics, uh, Soma is more than fine. So keeping on the uh, defensive theme, although I'm not sure if it is keeping on with the defensive theme, were you aware... And you probably were. <laughs> were you aware of uh, Taeyon Buchanan before he came on and made his into debut yesterday? I knew that he arrived in January, but it seems like he hasn't been making much noise since he's arrived from Club Bruges. Well, he came on. He looks very young, but then everybody looks young to me when you're in your fourth decade. <laughs> and, uh, and he sort of took up this role on the left-hand side. And it was step overs, and he was drive, and he should have he, sh- he should have had a penalty. You know, there was a I mean, the referee lets the Lernatana off because they were already three 0 down at this point. Um, he does not look like your uh, sort of traditional fullback, so I had to give him a Google because I kind of, kind of didn't know where he'd come from. Um, he it feels like he's very much in the mold of, of Alfonso Davies because on uh, transfer market they have him down as fullback stroke winger, mm-hmm. which. I know Alfonso Davies plays fullback for Bayern Munich, but then plays in a front three for, for Canada. So maybe that's just what Canadian football is churning out at the moment. Mm. Loads of players that play fullback for their you know their club side, but then go and play as an attacker for the national team. Um, but you know, I don't know how much of this game you saw. He had a sort of thirteen minute cameo, but I thought it was it was really positive from a, an Inter fan's perspective that they've got something else coming off the bench now because I think as they get into the latter stages of the Champions League and you think about what they've got to face Tuesday which is Athletic Madrid who will go to the Miazza probably trying to leave with a point if they can bring someone almost untried and unknown in a way to to the Spaniards and can go at players I think it will be a really good option for them Oh definitely although Denzel Dumfries scored in the game against Salernitana, uh, someone like Buchanan is younger and does up for uh, different attributes. Juan Cuadrado's just had a bad run with injuries, so the Buchanan signing's been a crucial one. Uh, I didn't watch him in this game, but uh, I did find out that he actually scored Canada's only goal at the well, first ever World Cup goal in Qatar. So it looks like you know he does provide something going forward, and you know if. If Dumfries doesn't offer enough on the right flank, you know, at least uh, Buchanan, he can really shake things up. Yeah, he's um, he's got more craft, I think, than uh, certainly where Dumfries is, is largely speed and power, um, I think. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does. So 25 years old, it's not it's not young, but um, so he's clearly not sort of set the world light before now, but... Um, we'll see how he does it into. I think that one other one other thing maybe that um, just because it amused me, um, I'm often bringing up things that just amuse me and very few other people. But um, 
David Klassen came on and um, he has hair. I don't, I don't know if he's just grown this or if he's been to Turkey for a transplant um, or whether getting out of Everton has stopped him pulling it out. It was, um, it, it was quite astonishing. One of, those, one of those sort of double takes you do when somebody comes onto the pitch and you think, oh, it was like the start of the season. I'd forgotten that he'd even gone there. And this time I didn't even realise it was him because he's, you know, he's probably not got many minutes into this season, but he's, um, he's, he's enjoyed his time out and gone and get him, got himself a new, um, a new barnet. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to point it out because I found it funny. I don't know if you, you noticed that Vito or you have any other high profile, um, hair restorative players we can think of, <laughs> but, but yeah, and Antonio Conti, I suppose the one we've mentioned is the obvious one, but, uh, yeah, it's always it's always interesting to see this uh, this modern phase of uh, hair transplanting. Well, that was the thing I was going to actually point out. Maybe David Clarkson's got a Antonio Conte special, you know, just get the hair transplant. I yeah, I I don't know if it was a special one. Um, Stace uh, had a view on how good it was, and maybe he just let what hair he did have grow. So um, we'll see. Maybe we'll get. Um, We'll get the others' view on that uh, at some point. Um, so on to uh, your second team, Genoa, away to <laughs> Napoli. You mean the second um, team of the city of Genoa? Oh, the, okay, the second team uh, of the city of uh, Genoa. Um, I got a draw against Napoli, um, but I do, as well as Genoa uh, are doing this this season, and I think we mentioned that last week. I certainly brought it up last week. Um, this is another where Na- Napoli are just a shadow of the former former selves. Um, Twenty one points from twelve games Garcia got at the start of the season. He was removed. Rudy Garcia for anybody who has missed the full name, uh, and was replaced by Walter Mazzari, who has gone and got fifteen from the next twelve. And uh, another thing that. Patrick Kendrick pointed out after the game was a quote from Mazzari which I love which was uh, and I might be paraphrasing slightly but why would I resign it's not as if I can ping one in the top corner Um, (laughs) but you know will Mazzari see the end of the season Um, it feels like he is on very borrowed time Vito I think he will see out the season because it's just a point in the campaign which that you can't really bring anyone else in to get another coach now just to you know just to save grace and try and get into Europe I don't think they're in a good enough position to do so I reckon just let Mazzari finish the season except that this season was just a disaster because Aurelio Di Laurentiis made two horrible coaching decisions and then make sure you get someone fresh for the next season and just rebuild from there because I think this team is still a good team. Maybe back-to-back totals was a stretch but this team should be qualifying for Europe and if Di Laurentiis can actually get his coaching choice right for 2024-25 I think that that coach will make the most out of the extra time needed not worry about European fixtures. Focus on Serie A again and build. So you know, I, I so um, I saw this question. 
I'm hesitating here, Vito, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm between questions again. Mm-hmm. So I saw a stat, I saw a stat um, out on social media before we came on that said um, since Mazzari has come into Napoli, they've recorded the fewest goals of any side in Syria. And that's less a question, more, you know, add it to the rest of this. But if they go out of the Champions League... Uh, got Barcelona, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Which is, is shocking, really, when you think about it. you've got the the Italian champions and the Spanish champions both in terrible form, and we could get anything when they face off on Wednesday night. So, if they were to eventually go out of the Champions League, because we've got a few more weeks of that, I understand what you're saying about getting a coach in, but would a new coach maybe not want to get, have the time at the end of this season to assess the squad that he's got? Um, it's a bit late to now convince uh, the likes of Zielinski to sort of remain at Napoli and sign a new contract but again if if they're in players that are talking with their agents about potential moves away dare we dare we say Victor Osserman mm-hmm. you know is it better that a coach would come in and, and have you know the end of the season just to, to play around really because I don't think a bit like Juve I don't think Europa or Europa Conference League particularly helps them next season Financially, um, so if they get knocked out of the Champions League, and they're, they're not, they are not one hundred percent. I would bet my house they are not getting Champions League through their league position this year. It feels like it feels like they could give a coach who's potentially out of work, like Conte, the end of the season just to assess what he's got there. Mm. Oh, look, it's possible, but I don't. I personally don't see it. I think that. Uh, anyone wanting to take on the Napoli job wouldn't want to jump in now. They would want to start afresh and overlook things during the summer. So last question on Napoli. You mentioned that uh, it was a lot to expect back-to-back titles. But do you think this is just a Scudetto hangover or them just reverting to norm? Because again, that sort of work I was doing on you know, the best sides of the last five or six seasons. Napoli were nowhere to be seen, really, until sort of Spalletti came in and, you know, had those those wonderful two years which com- culminated in a tight two, and it, you know, you, you did that piece uh, last season about the worst um, total defences, and it feels harsh to criticise Napoli within that bunch because it feels like that was just a wonderful year that the fans will forever hold in their hearts and will not even begrudge the sort of what's happened the following season. And and, and and we will now just go back to Napoli fighting between fourth and fifth place. I don't I don't think there's any shame in that, but um you think it you think they can get back to challenging for the title? Maybe the title will be a stretch, but I think they should be at least fighting for Champions League spots. Um I don't think what happened was a fluke necessarily it was something out of the ordinary but not a fluke i think those players there they're still very good players and i just think they really just need another coach to really sort of guide them along and give them a sense of belief and a clearer structure because garcia wanted to just disrupt whatever foundation spalletti had laid for that team and mazzari i think he's just gone past his use by date Okay, so another side that have been regularly challenging for and qualifying for Champions League group stages, uh, Atalanta. They won 3-0 against Asuolo. 
We'll get on to Sassuolo in a moment and their um, sort of gentle slide towards relegation um, trouble. Um, I suppose uh, a couple of couple of things to point out. There was two penalty saves by uh, Karnaseki. Yeah. Um, which I think, I, I'm going to assume he's definitely in your team of the week as Connor was uh, on our WhatsApp chat uh, pushing for his uh, player of the week credentials. Yes. Um, but, you know, Atalanta, they just keep driving on. They're certainly unbeaten in their last... Well, they're, they're five consecutive wins now. Uh, I say they're not... They're not going to sort of maybe catch Milan uh, within the next couple of weeks. That's who they play next weekend. But with Bologna hot on their heels, they need to keep um, keep going. Do you do you see them faltering at any point here, um, Vito? Uh, at the moment, no, because they seem to have regained their old rhythm from a few years ago. And last season, they looked a bit more conservative. But this time, they seem to have rediscovered that attacking spirit that they had in previous years. And even with some new players on board, especially someone like Shal uh, de Catalara, I think they're doing quite nicely. And I think they'll be able to shrug off any challenge that Bologna will throw at them. And talking about that, uh, that goal-scoring threat, um, they've got there was an interesting um, line in the Opta stats that we all get uh, post game <laughs> that um, Mario Pasic and Tien Coop Miners are the two midfielders <laughs> <laughs> that have scored the most goals since the start of last season. Uh, I just want your view on Mario Pasic being. Um, you know, grouped in with the midfielders because I don't know. It feels like they're stretching that particular statistic there to get him at the top of that list. Yeah. Uh, who he, he did score mm-hmm. uh, for those listening that don't realise that. Uh, is he? A, is he a midfielder? It, Certainly not in the traditional sense, in my eyes. No, nah, not in a traditional sense. But he is a midfielder. But he's just so good in making those late runs into the box. And uh, I think yeah, he's one of those few players that actually has that sense of you know. Staying off the strikers and yeah, just coming in at the right time. So he's he's got that skill about him. And Coop Miners, yeah, he's definitely a midfielder. But I think moving to Italy has allowed Coop Miners to play in a more advanced role than what he did back in the Netherlands. Yeah, I uh, I had that down in my notes because I was expecting Connor here, and I thought he would have a <laughs> he would have a strong he would have a stronger view on whether Passenich was a midfielder. But there you go. Um, they're, they're, they're rumbling along nicely, so I don't think we need to spend any more time on Atalanta. But um, Sassuolo, who have been an entertaining side since coming into Syria uh, a decade ago, um, it's, it's, it's got to be a worry for some of their fans. You know, the defeat has left them on 20 points on 17th. They've also seen Hellas Verona pick up a unexpected points against uh, Juve. So they are 18th. Um, on the same points. Empoli also picked up a point against Fiorentina, so they've moved one more point away from them. Um, and it just... It, it, it feels like I can't see where... A, 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 yeah, a vital win is coming for them. Um, and if they were to go down, they'd probably lose Berardi because he's 30 and he'd want to remain in Syria because, you know, you'll do your... 
Serie B summary uh, at the end of the pod, but it's a difficult league to get out of, and it, it feels a bit of a shame, Vito, because I wouldn't want to lose to Solo because I don't know how long it would take us to see them come back. Mm. I do think that would be very tough for Sassuolo to get back up if they do get relegated. And it shows once again that without Verardi, Sassuolo do lack a talisman and someone with some extra spark. They need him back as soon as they can because he's usually the one that can step up in big games for Sassuolo and turn things around. Uh, You look at the team that's there now, Lorente is a player that can provide a bit of flair, but... He hasn't been as impressive as I thought he was last season. And in the centre-forward role, I just don't think Andrea Pinamonti is it. I really question if he's really a good enough striker for Serie A. So, um, you know, when you haven't got your other forward options firing, it also goes to show that when you miss a key player like Berardi, uh, Berardi leaves an even bigger hole in that team than one would first think. Was it you on social media I saw uh, suggesting that Pinamonti wasn't um, fit to be a Serie A striker this this uh, weekend, Vito? No, not this weekend, as I haven't been as oh, active okay. on Twitter as I have been other times. But I think um, even Connor has suggested that Pinamonti's not up okay. to scratch. So there you go. It must have been somebody else, somebody mm-hmm. also uh, who suggested into a very... Uh, shrewd at getting 20 million euros for the striker so uh, <laughs> it's, it sounds like it sounds like they were yeah. um so uh where are we go we're going to Lazio who had a wonderful if surprising win over Bayern Munich midweek and of course they go and follow it up by losing to Bologna although the way Bologna uh, are playing this season there's probably little shame in that other than the fact that it came at the Stadio Olimpico um Bologna did not go 1-0 up. Vita, why can I not remember the order of scoring in this? <laughs> I remember Xerxes hitting the winner, but I can't... I oh know Bologna equalised. So um, Lazio went one of that through the Scandinavian player. Give me his Gustav name, Vita. who's actually been pretty good on the right wing when he plays. Yeah, and it was, it was quite a nice uh, shot. Slotted him in from uh, the edge of the box uh, with his left foot. Um, I, I, I don't know how much of this you saw, Vito. There was a little bit of confusion over the Bologna equaliser, uh, offside or not offside. Um, I think it must have been borderline because it was an extremely poor pass out from Providell. And then sort of a, a Bologna player tried to control it and then it sort of fell into the path of another who struck the equaliser. But um, the it was playing in the background here. And the VAR check seemed to go on for so long, they had no more time to actually show a replay of the goal. (laughs) And the one thing they don't do in Italy, um, unlike they do in the UK here, is show the lines uh, once they've made the VAR decision. So actually, um, if it's too close for them to use that screenshot of this sort of automated VAR, uh, we don't really see anything else. So it was a bit bit hard to to work out what had gone on. But... um, if you've got no more insight on that, um, just talk us about, uh, through uh, Josh Xerxes' uh, winner, really, which is a, you know, fairly late in the game, and but well deserved. Oh yeah, um, yeah, definitely well deserved. And yeah, just talking about him as a player, you know, it's incredible to see how he's just grown throughout the season. He's 
Yeah, he's really been a big focal point in that Bologna attack. In previous years, Musa Barrow was throwing the goals, and then your boy Marco Anatovic was banging a few as well, but Xerxi has really looked like the complete package. And to uh, score against Lazio, who managed to get that incredible win against Bayern, I think that's a, another bonus. Once, once um, you know, Inter wrapped the title up on like match day 30, <laughs> Marco will get a run of at least like eight league games where he'll get a double in one and I can, I can legitimately have him as player of the week. <laughs> and... <laughs> Connor will hate me for it. Yep. But he'll have no arguments because uh, if Marco bags a double, uh, he's getting he's getting my player of the week. And uh, it'll just go up on the site with no uh, images if they don't want to put them together for me. So uh, there you go. Um, let's go to the other Roman club, um, Roma, who beat Frosinone 3-0 this evening. Um, a great solo goal to start with. Uh, for a man a lot like myself with a forename that doesn't match his surname, uh, Dean, you know, mm. classic Dean Hooson, uh, <laughs> on loan from Juventus, who sort of uh, strode forward with the ball, cut inside and fired a wonderful shot uh, in for the Roma opener. But it wasn't it wasn't a great game, Vita. I don't know how much you saw of this. You might have been in bed uh, over there. It was it was why I still have Roma behind. Uh, Atalanta and Bologna as favourites for you know sort of clinching one of those Champions League places. Even if uh, Italy were to get a fifth place with the new UEFA rule in this year, uh, and Daniele De Rossi came out after the game and admitted in his words it was a horrible performance. Mm. If you're winning three 0 on the road and still think it's bad, then it's got to be saying something. Uh, look, I won't lie, I only just saw the highlights, but. From what I made out from this game, Frosinone looked pretty dangerous early on, especially Matthias Soule, who, like Dina Hussein, is on loan from Juventus. And you would have thought that, based on what uh, Frosinone had done early in the game, they could have got something out of this. Unfortunately, they didn't put their chances away. And I think with uh, Hussein to score that lovely goal, I think that proved to be the sucker punch for the Canarini. Yeah, it certainly seemed to have an impact on their, their confidence after that goal, Vito. Um, you know, Paradis got a, a, a late penalty, um, which I suppose you can get when you're not playing great. De Rossi clearly wants a little bit more, but they're picking up three points. They're scoring three goals on the road. Um, I'm sure when he wakes up tomorrow morning, um, he'll feel a little bit more comfortable with, with how his side played than he won't run them too hard into the ground on the training uh, training pitch probably Tuesday most teams get a day off don't they now after a after a game um Torino oh I know uh, yeah I can use this I can use the word I've written down but I won't use it uh, here so another crap game uh, I'll let you you know wonder what the word is that's written down on my uh, my, my notes here uh, another another crap game started the weekend uh, Torino to uh, Lecce nil uh, Bellanova. Yes, he got the opening goal. He got he got the open yeah he got the open goal. Uh, a lovely driven finish. Um, they never really looked like they were at threat of losing this game, Torino. But it took a while for them to warm up. Um, and the only other thing I took of interest uh, out of this was it's. It's three decades since they kept 12 clean sheets in a single campaign. 
and they've already got to that total. Uh, in Ivan Juric's 100th game as Torino coach. Uh, but they're happy, they're comfortable. Um, anything to say about the game, the result, where they're sat, you know, comfortably mid-table, um, Vito? Yeah, I think that's pretty much where Torino's at, just being a mid-table team. I think, well, they had Luvan Zapata get the second goal, but I think without him, they haven't got a proper goal threat. They probably should have won by a bit more because uh, Vladimir Falcone did save a header from Tony Sanabria. And, um, yeah, just on that stat you point out, I'm actually curious which season it was when they got the 12 clean sheets. I'm going to guess 91-92 because that's when they finished third. 92-93, apparently. Oh, the one after, yeah. But, they actually won yeah, the but, Coppa uh, Italia. That was their last ever trophy, by the way. Little trivia, but I went there because they won. Yeah, I went there because they won. We 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 probably should have gone to Tuscany, um, where there was a, a derby between Empoli and Fiorentina. Um, Fiorentina did take the lead. Um, they've dropped more points. They are back to being our fun-loving, inconsistent Fiorentina. What do we got? Three losses, a draw, and a win in their last five. They're on thirty-eight points. They're slowly slipping out of contention for. A Champions League place. I don't think they're going to make up the seven points on Atalanta. Um, and if they're not careful, they'll be out of European qualification contention altogether soon. And um, that will have hit them quite hard, even though it was a sort of a local derby. Empire are, are, are fighting away at the bottom of the league. Um, but Fiorentina should be doing better there, Vito, shouldn't they? Oh, I definitely agree. Uh, despite the appointment of uh, Nicola Empoli, that, that's helped them turn them around. So they're a tougher team to beat, but Fiorentina, I think they've showed that they're just, to be honest, black track bullies because they smashed Frosinone last week and they showed that when they're on fire, they're, they're a good team to watch. But uh, it's games like these that they can't afford to squander and their inconsistency as well as their inability to put away chances regularly, I think that's going to be a hindrance, especially when it comes to challenging for European spots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had Udnazi down to beat Cagliari um, just because Cagliari have been woeful this uh, <laughs> this uh, season, Vito. But even Cagliari managed to come back and get a point from them. So, um, Anything to say there, uh, Udinese? I suppose Udinese will probably be kicking themselves because they would probably have thought they'd beat Cagliari at home. They're only now three points off of relegation, um, only four points away from Cagliari uh, in 19th. Um, so it's, it's tight down there. Those those games between the sides that are contesting those places really do need to um, sort of make them count, I suppose. I think two things about this game. Uh, one aspect is that this makes Juventus' defeat to Udinese look more embarrassing because Udinese couldn't uh, go and get back-to-back wins. Uh, and on a more positive note, uh, it was the second goal in as many games for Gianluca Gaetano, who's a midfielder on loan from Napoli. So if he can help Cagliari with a... Great escape. Maybe he's going to put a late case for himself to be utilised a bit more at Napoli next season. Get him back, Walter. Get him back. Not that you'll be there, but get him back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
So that's the end of uh, Syria. Um, a couple of things to mention. Uh, you'll be well aware, regular listeners, of uh, Connor and Ewan's coverage of uh, Syria a femminile, uh, the women's game in Italy. Um, although Connor's not here, he pointed one thing out, which um, is horrific in my eyes, uh, that happened at the Milan derby um, this afternoon which was uh, one team. He doesn't actually tell me which team, but it doesn't care because I'd be angry whichever it was. Uh, one played in a full black strip and one played in a full orange strip, um, which when it is a traditional rivalry, regardless of how long uh, the teams have been going, uh, never in a million years... Should you be should you be tossing your traditions aside uh, to wear kits that just by the sound of it sound horrific in colour? But um, Connor mentioned that it mirrors um, the horrific performances of both sides this uh, this year. So for those of you who want to hear about that and uh, more on the women's game in Italy, uh, just go to Total Hoyfen Italian Football and you will find lots and lots of coverage there. I am biased but I would say unrivaled in other English language platforms. Um, and we'll finish, uh, Vita, if you want to give us a small summary of what's been going on in Syria B this weekend. Well, in Syria B, there have been quite a few exciting results. Um, probably for just pure entertainment value, probably the most exciting result was Spezia for Cittadella 2. Cittadella got two players sent off and... They were in the playoff uh, spot, so they're still there, but they were in contention. But uh, that was their fifth defeat in a row. But Spezia, good win for them. At least they stay up um, when they try to avoid relegation to Serie C. Parma maintained their lead at the top of Serie B with a 3-2 win at home to Pisa. But probably the big results were sort of, um, yeah, a bit below them. Uh, Palermo beating Como 3-0. I think that hinders Como's hopes a little bit of getting a direct spot. And Palermo, they're really looking like that team that's going to be the best out of those teams between third and eighth in the playoff spots. Did Venezia win? They were 2-1 up, I think, at one point. I looked, they were playing Modena. Uh, that eventually finished 2-2. Oh, OK, are they in contention to go up? Yeah, um, Yeah. so they're, they're, they're about fourth now but uh now because of that game we got a new leader for the couple Cananier race so Joel Piampolo scored both goals for the Venetians and he's now got 13 for the season so he's leapt above three other players for for that you know there's uh, Tutino from Casenza, Casaraghi from Sutero and Corda from Cremonese who are on 12 so Piampolo is really in sensational form Talking about Capone Canyoneri, and um, because you, because it's just us, yeah. so I won't be getting cut off uh, and told that we're running over time. Um, but you love a bit of history. I love a bit of history. I was reading the, I was reading World Soccer just come out this week, and it had an obituary for um, Gianni Riva, mm-hmm. and it, it it shocked me. And what just reminded me was you said Casaragi. Yeah. Obviously, was a you know there was a, a, a Casaragi of my era. Um, yeah, Pierre Luigi. But Riva's yeah. still. Yeah, and, and that Riva is still Italy's all-time top scorer. Mm. 
um, with 35 goals and like the closest um, is Baggio, I think, and Del Piero on 27. Just astounds me that in a modern era with more European games because of the breakup of Russia and the sort of Balkan region, um, that somebody just hasn't sort of surpassed it because um, I think it, 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 Italy feels like a feels like a uh, a national team that would have had a sort of an exceptional striker about that time, and they have had, but clearly none uh, that seem to stand the test of time. No, um, because the ones just below him, like Silvio Piola and Giuseppe Meazza, they played in the 1930s. So the more recent heroes have struggled to come close to 30 or 30 plus. So it's quite incredible that Gigi Riva still has this record. And what's even scarier is that Riva had two serious leg breaks and he probably could mm. have got even more than 35. Might, yeah, because he retired. Yeah, he retired at thirty-one. Yeah, yeah I was reading yeah. that. Yeah. So, but yeah, just about the strikers thing in the last 40, 50 years. I think between not having settled strikers, the talent's been there because I think Vieri had the talent to go past Riva. Um, but I think also Paolo Rossi with the Tottenham scandal in nineteen eighty. He was great at World Cups, but other than the World Cups. In score enough, and I think just Italy's style of play. I think there've been too many times where Italy's just been too conservative for their own good. If they just gave their players a bit more attacking freedom, um, I know I'm a bit biased because I have partial Italian ancestry, but I think Italy could have won a bit few more international honours if they just weren't so cagey, paranoid, or just full of fear. That's my take on it. There you go. Get De Rossi in. Uh, and he will sort of throw off the shackles like he has <laughs> with Mourinho's Roma and um, uh, and Italy have a, a goal scorer to surpass uh, Gianni Riva. Um, I was using part of that to um, look up the Serie B table because uh, I always like to look for places that I've not yet been to stadium-wise. Bolzano. Uh, have you been to Bolzano? I have not been to Bolzano. Pal- Palermo, uh, because I was quite partial to uh, Sicily, but I went to Catania. Mm-hmm. I never went Me up uh, to the north uh, northwest to Palermo. Mm-hmm. And I've been dying to get to Como uh, because I have a friend who... It's probably changed now, but a friend whose wife is from Sorono, just outside of Milan on the way to Malpensa Airport. He went to watch a game at Como and said... Um, it was the scariest uh, experience of his life because it was a windy day and it was on this rickety old um, sort of scaffold-like uh, bench um, bleacher, if we use an Amer- the American term. Um, so I'd quite like to, I'd quite like to experience that for some weird reason. Bari's also there, but they don't look like they're in contention this year uh, in any way, shape, or form. So Bari will have to wait for another. Uh, another year Ooh, we should probably i was oh, gonna go say, you were gonna say they yeah, still got a chance yeah well they 33 points yeah the former you know former fiorentina coach uh beppe Iacchini, he's taken over so he's got two wins on the trot and they've just snuck into that final eighth spot so he's a city b specialist there might be some hope for bari that's the baseball cap man that's right that that shouldn't that that it has made me sound more ignorant than I am. <laughs> I, was, I, I, I was I was extremely confident that he wore a baseball cap, and I shouldn't have called him the baseball cap man. I just 
instantly thought back to Davy Klassen and wondered whether Yakini had. I was, I was expecting to say, it's the baseball cap guy, and you're going to go, no, he's been to Turkey on a little holiday, and he's back with a full head of hair and a ponytail and a full-on beard. Um, but there you go. Get yourself back in Syria, um, Beppe, and I'll be down to Bari uh, next season. Um, we really, really should leave it there, Vito. <laughs> uh, you've probably got work. Uh, my wife probably wants to get to sleep and not hear me shouting from the kitchen anymore. Um, everybody listening, come and follow us. Come and check out the articles we're putting up on Total Hyphen Italian Football. Um, I say there'll be something from me on Inter and their generational team of this little decade. Um, the end of the season is hotting up so more and more stuff will be going up um, thank you very much for your patience listening to the end of this pod Vito would you like to say goodbye 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 everybody thank you very much and we will see you soon Let's go.